Hello and welcome to Poor Richard's Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training. For more, check out our website at adst.org. ADST, American Diplomacy, warts and all. My name is Jack Stuckel. In 1978, the Roman Catholic Church elected Karol Wojtyla of Poland as Pope. Formerly the Archbishop of Krakow, Wojtyla was the first non-Italian Pope in over 450 years, the first Polish Pope ever, and would take the papal name John Paul II. His homeland had been under communist rule since the Second World War and was deeply resentful of the repressive regime which stifled Polish cultural identity and its overwhelmingly Catholic heritage. The following excerpts are the experiences of American diplomats with this remarkable pope. Leslie Alexander, interviewed in 2005, met the future pope on assignment in Poland in 1977, when he was still the Archbishop of Krakow. There was a sense of, of despair. Um, I think the Poles were, were, were were worn out, tired of, of the regime, tired of, the, of, the, of the, the, the pressure from the Soviets to, to, to conform. Uh, I, I just had a feeling that I was living in a, in a town that was just tired. There, there wasn't much mirth, there wasn't much gaiety, there wasn't, there just wasn't much light. The Catholic Church uh, which flourished um, was wasn't an alternative to the regime, but it was certainly a. Well, I don't know what it was. It wasn't a political institution. The church is and was the church. Uh, it 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 was a source of 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 inspiration, a, a source of strength for. A nation that, that, again, I would characterize as, as tired, worn out, deceived, angry. Most Poles were practicing, practicing Catholics. Uh, unusual uh, when you consider that in, in France, uh, another predominantly Catholic country, maybe one of, of every four or five Frenchmen went to church on a, on a regular basis in the 70s. I would say that 65% of the Poles attended church fairly regularly. Um, the Archbishop of, of, of Krakow, or Krakow, where I was stationed, was, was an enormously popular figure. He went on to become Pope. Uh, in fact, well, the first time I met him was, uh, was skiing just south of Krakow in Zakopane. He was dressed up in a ski outfit that looked like something from a 1930s Hollywood movie uh, with the long wooden skis and the short pants and and a, a Polish <coughs> gentleman I knew said would you like to meet the Archbishop and I said well, yeah we're, we're going to do this next week Monday you know right now would you like to meet him I said but we're skiing and he said yeah well he's skiing too he's right over there and I said no you're kidding me and sure enough it, it was him it was a very very stocky, powerfully built man. You could tell he was probably, well, in fact, he, he was a, an athlete. Um, 
I think it was that kind of activity, seeing the archbishop skiing around, and you know, that, that endeared him very much yeah. to the poles. And 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 the priests uh, were, for the most part, widely respected, uh, admired. Uh, they were courageous. Many of them were 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 persecuted by the by the regime. Uh, the poles looked to them as the the the. The, the voice, the vision of an honest, uh, free Poland, and uh, I think the church took on a on a significance uh, in Poland uh, that took on a role that it hadn't had in in generations uh, in, in in Europe. Karl Bastiani, interviewed in 2008, remembers a joke told about the Pope by Polish communist officials. They have said, I think with pretty good reason, that the Poles are the Italians of the North. Uh, they do have this Italian, this uh, Catholic culture, this Catholic culture that uh, I think is very civilizing because it, it abhors violence. And, um, and, uh, and you, can, you can sense it when, when, when you are in Poland. Um, um, but anyway, um, the Polish, the, uh, wow, <laughs> while I was in Polish language training, one day somebody knocked on the door and said, and said, they've just elected a Polish pope. <laughs> and we thought, uh, uh, you know, the first thing was, uh, this is another Polish joke. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but sure enough, Wojtyla had, had just been elected. Oh. And, uh, and, and that too made it kind of exciting. Yeah. I talked to the Voivoda, the provincial the head, um, uh, who in fact uh, told me a joke about, about the Pope that showed obvious pride on the part of this communist official and others. Uh, the joke about the Pope was, was he, he got on an airplane and um, after the plane took off, uh, the stewardess asked if he wanted to drink, and and he said, "Well, what's our altitude?" And she said, "Well, eight thousand feet." He said, "Fine." And later on, same thing. Uh, he asked again what the altitude was, and uh, fifteen thousand feet. Uh, okay, and then they get up to cruising altitude. You know, maybe thirty thousand feet. And she asked again, do you want another drink? He said, uh, uh, what's the altitude in 30,000 feet? Too close to the boss. <laughs> <laughs> but this I got from a, the communist yeah. official. Um, the, the Pope had just made his first visit to Poland after my arrival, um, uh, before my arrival. And, and so they, they were still uh, talking about it. David Summers, interviewed in 2012, recounts the Pope's visit to Poland in 1979, which inspired the Polish people and fueled the growth of the opposition. But then, yeah, so suddenly I was in Poland, my congressional duties were over, and um, I didn't have a desk at the embassy, so I went um, and was a reporting officer for the Pope's visits to um, Poznan, I didn't, did I go to Częstochowa? Poznan, Częstochowa, 
Krakow and then Novesonch, a city south of Krakow. And the first time I went was with David Pazorski, who was the political officer there. And the two of us uh, were in a big field outside of Poznan, and um, we were straining to see the mass when all of a sudden we had an excellent view. Uh, and that's because all other 500,000 people had fallen to their knees in prayer. And David Pazorski, despite his Polish Catholic sounding name, was actually a Polish Presbyterian. And the two of us were standing and we looked at each other and we dropped too. It was like, drop for cover. Uh, and then, but it was a a wonderful, wonderful time. Oh, uh, and it began with um, um, I was I was with um, Polish friends who had a an apartment on the Plac Zamskowy, the Royal Square, and uh, so we saw the Pope when we watched him on television, and we saw him as he um, came down this the main street from the airport and went right under our window for his very first event. The, the thing that happened every time was that the Pole said, What will happen? I mean, they just couldn't conceive of what might happen. So what happened was like Woodstock. It was days of peace and joy and every place the Pope went, he changed his game. So that uh, when he went to Novesanche, which was down in the south in the mountains, um, the communists down there went, this is going too far because, I mean, he was so popular and it was such a euphoria. They went, we can't have 500,000 people in our district. So they said, oh, we have to stop road traffic because it's just too dangerous and what the emergency vehicles need to get in and out. So, so they went, aha, this way there'll be fewer people coming to the Mass. Everybody made a pilgrimage, and there were more than ever. So it was like, darn. And so the, the Pope at that event knew the whole story. Everybody knew he knew. All he did was say a Mass. But every time he tailored it, it was a magnificent thing, and I think way more than Ronald Reagan tear down this wall, which we love to say is what Ronald Reagan... Uh, well, I think the main reason the Berlin Wall fell and communism fell was economics, and it was happening a long time, and overspending on military is one of the most dangerous things a great power can do. Uh, so that's the big long-term global warming problem with the fall of the Berlin Wall. But then number two in my book is the visit of the Pope. He really, as people just went, hey, we can speak out. Look at him. He's speaking. But he was speaking in code. He was, um, so when he went to Novi Sanch, he said, um, all the people had walked there. They it had been thwarted by the authorities, even though the government had decided they would... Uh, uh, you know, go through with this, that it might help them and even support them, I suppose they thought. Or maybe they thought there's no way they couldn't. Down there, the more retrograde guys were going to try to teach the peasants a lesson. So the Pope says, um, when he looks at the sea of people, he says, that all walk there, he says. Oh, and then from this spot, you should be able to see the snow cut. 
Tatre mountains. But it's a bad day. <laughs> the weather is bad. So he says, Look, the mountains are ashamed to show themselves, which meant they're ashamed of the party for a secretary. Everybody understood that. And they all went, Yay! When the, <laughs> when the Pope came to Warsaw, it was a silent thing. Everybody was quiet. But in this case, everybody roared and screamed their approval of his comment against the party leaders. I mean, that's the way people understood it. Whether, and I know that's what he was doing. So then later on, he went to um, he went to Krakow, and he had a couple of big meetings, and he had a small one, and the small one was in the church where the where the professors of the university were. It was, um, it was the, the church that belonged to the university, the Jagiellonian University, where he had gone to school and had been a drama student. So um, this was a really a tight little intimate group, and he says to, um, he says, oh, I see my old professor, Mochainsky or whatever his name was, uh, he wanted me to be an actor. But the Lord had different plans for me. And then he kind of like paused, just the way Ronald Reagan would before he delivered a good line. And he said, um, but the Lord found a job for me where I can uh, use both uh, skills. So basically, to, to the superstitious audience, he says, oh, the clouds aren't appearing because they're ashamed. And to the uh, intellectual audience, he says, I'm actually part actor in this job. I mean, he kept doing that every place. And it was just astonishing. Um, that at that particular event, I was, um, I was friends with the daughter of a, Catholic um, weekly magazine that was a sometime opposition magazine. <clears throat> it was called Tikodnik Povshachna, the weekly, um, the, well, the common weekly magazine. And so this woman uh, had started something called, she was several years younger, <clears throat> she was still in college, I think. So she was younger than I was, and I met her when she played the, uh, a role in Twelfth Night. No, in Midsummer Night's Dream. She was in an English production that, that we went to as part of the consulate. So um, <clears throat> uh, I met her then, and then when I went back, I looked her up, and she said, oh, you can be with me for the um, uh, civilian guard, the youth guard. So when the Pope went to this, he had this church meeting, and then, oh, no, that was, well, it was another, it was another mass for the youth. So we were arm in arm forming a, uh, like a, a cordon sanitaire so the Pope could walk out this courtyard that was filled with people. And um, she had been called in for, by the police in the previous months because she, after the Committee for the Protection of the Workers had established, um, they started something called the Flying University, the La Taillonse Universitat. And uh, they held their meetings in... Um, the Dominican monastery, which was off limits to the police, just like it was in the Middle Ages. And she had started, she had a course on Brave New World in 1984, which I had read in the 10th grade. And so there they were doing that. 
And she'd been hauled in for the police and questioned about her activities with this. So the Pope is coming out of the church. We're standing there. He walks right by, and he knew her because of her father and the Catholic activism. He turns to her and he says, what's a jailbird like you doing in a place like this? And he walked on. It was like he had something. He was amazing with his ability to connect to people. And that time, he, I think he set the stage for the, um, the, the like he fueled the Committee to Protect the Workers was this uh, bunch of people with a Xerox machine that were uh, opposing the Polish government in the name of the laws of Poland that were on the books. And uh, they just got fueled and turned into solidarity with the visit of the public. That's my view. That was the most fun I ever had in the Foreign Service. Thomas Malady, interviewed in 1995, served as ambassador to the Holy See and recounts the historic meeting between the Pope and President Ronald Reagan in 1982. Let's just go back to the uh, meeting of, uh, before I got there, the famous meeting between President Reagan and Pope John Paul II. At that meeting, uh, remember the background, 1982, we had a special envoy. Uh, Reagan was getting ready to go to the meeting, and Reagan uh, the essential advice was in an executive summary, don't be talking about overthrowing the communists in Eastern Europe. Look what happened, we talked about it before. Hungarian Revolution, the Prague Revolt of 68, the Soviets mm -hmm. aren't going to do it. Interesting, I found when I got there, the papal advice was saying the same thing as this Polish Pope. Don't be talking about it. Mm -hmm. Well, lo and behold, neither follow the advice of their experts. And uh, uh, the president brought up to the Pope that he had read the Pope had said that one day Eastern Europe will be free. Mm -hmm. Eastern Europe will join with Western Europe. Mm -hmm. And President Reagan said, Your Holiness, when will that be? And the Pope said, in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And the President sort of jumped out of his chair mm -hmm. and said, well, we're both not exactly young people. Mm -hmm. And our lifetime said, yes. And so the President mm -hmm. grabbed his hand uh -huh. and said, let's work together. I remember mm -hmm. Time Magazine about 19... 91 uh, had a major cover, the Holy Alliance, mm -hmm. and the picture of the Pope and Reagan. Yeah. Uh, the article, with the exception of the first five paragraphs, was really quite accurate. With the handshake, mm -hmm. without a formal treaty, there never was anything mm -hmm. written, I know mm -hmm. that, the United States and the Holy See cooperated in one of the greatest events in modern history, the collapse of an empire without, relatively mm -hmm. speaking, any major bloodshed. How did it have, I mean, what was the Holy See doing uh, as far as the, uh, the influence on what the Soviet Union? Well, it was actually, they had very good sources of information, despite the difficulty of operating there. And uh, when, uh, soon after I arrived, I found out that there had been about a three to four year contact between the uh, Rome and Moscow. Mm -hmm. So when Carmel Casseroli had been there in one of his visits mm -hmm. in 87, uh, there was a famous conversation between uh, uh, Gorbachev and Casseroli mm -hmm. where they're talking about some, some things at the end of a formal meeting. And Gorbachev said, uh, volunteered that he would be uh, uh, visiting his mother mm -hmm. uh, that weekend. And he said, my mother's a deaconess in the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and he went on. And of course, Castro knew he was talking to a very 
uh, astute person, not an adolescent high school boy, mm. was blabbed on. Yeah. Every word was meant to convey yeah. a message. And he described how sometime when he visited his mother in this cottage uh, where she lived, and she took care of changing the linen and so forth mm -hmm. on the altar of the, was the Orthodox Church, mm -hmm. uh, she had two portraits of Marx and Lenin, pretty standard at that time mm -hmm. for any uh, Soviet yeah. home, and that uh, uh, sometimes would take them down. When she took them down, there were two icons, and she would bless uh -huh. them. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, my mother's the one who baptized me. Mm -hmm. So, the mm -hmm. conversation went on, and actually, oh. actually, we all that. <laughs> To the Pope, mm -hmm. and it became a correspondence period uh -huh. in which the letters were rather friendly. Gorbachev sent a note to the Pope inviting him to send a delegation to the 1,000th anniversary of the Orthodox Church. Ah, uh, yes. And invited the Pope to come. Pope said he appreciated he couldn't make it, but he sent a very high, long, high-level delegation. Mm -hmm. Other letters followed, and so therefore, when the uh, Washington heard that in November 89 that Gorbachev on his way to the island of Malta to meet President mm -hmm. Bush on December 1 to stop off in Rome mm -hmm. to meet the Pope. Mm -hmm. I received high-level instructions to find out what's going on, mm -hmm. and um, which I did, and I got all this information about the three-and-a-half-year mm -hmm. relationship mm -hmm. uh, with Gorbachev and the, and the uh, um, analysis by the Holy See that there was a change in leadership, an attitude of a leadership, mm -hmm. far more flexible and amenable and prepared for change, providing the change would protect their interests. Mm -hmm. You see, but rather rapid change, which they found they were communicating that. Mm -hmm. Our people in my briefings didn't feel that way. They thought mm -hmm. maybe Gorbachev was trying to pull something off. You remember the mm -hmm. crop, uh, uh, harvest wasn't too good. Mm -hmm. Was he looking for some of those arrangements yeah. in regard yeah. to wheat and other things? And I think, I mean, the president told me later that he felt that way too. So, uh, about two days before the uh, Gorbachev arrived in Rome, I received additional instructions, trying to find out what the Pope thought of Gorbachev, and, I, and various such a question. Can mm -hmm. Gorbachev be trusted? Mm -hmm. Well, I dealt with Casseroli, who was number two mm -hmm. head of government. Formal title there was Secretary of State, which confuses people mm -hmm. here, but really is Prime Minister, mm -hmm. head of government. I had known him for years before I went there. And uh, I remember I saw him. I didn't have much time because uh, it was like December, uh, two days after he saw the Pope be in Malta. Mm -hmm. So I, just, I had to see Casseroli fairly soon. And uh, I saw him in a long meeting, and he briefed me on all the things that were said which I transmitted all mm -hmm. to uh, Washington. And then he said, in regard to trust, we think we know the man. He's from the heart of a communist power structure. Mm -hmm. He believes in change, and he wants it. Mm -hmm. We believe he can be trusted within those parameters. Mm -hmm. So I got that cable off. Pope John Paul II died in 2005, ending the third longest pontificate in the over 2,000-year history of the Catholic Church. He is credited with playing a pivotal role in the fall of communism by inspiring anti-communist movements in Poland and across Eastern Europe. Pope Francis canonized him as a Roman Catholic saint in 2014. The music for this podcast was provided by Carol Schmeidberger, licensed under Creative Commons. 
ADST is an independent nonprofit organization located in Arlington, Virginia. ADST's oral history collection, begun in 1986, contains over 2,500 oral histories, unveiling the horrifying, thought-provoking, and the absurd events that helped shape foreign policy. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make a tax-deductible donation to allow ADST to continue its work at www.adst.org. My name is Jack Stuckel. Thanks for listening.